You're listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, welcome. Trudy's going to read from the scripture that we're going to be uh, looking at today. Uh, It's on a card on your seat. So if you want to look on, she's going to read that. Let's read this in a a, uh, posture of prayer. Hello. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10, and then 16 to 20. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. Then you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Trudy. One of the oldest traditions in the Christian church, older than Easter eggs to do at Easter, is a greeting that people give to each other. Uh, In the early church speaking Greek, they would say, Christos Anesti, Alithos Anesti. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Let's do that now. Stand, greet the people around you, say, he's risen, the reply, he's risen indeed. Get amongst it. Let's pray. Father, we come to celebrate the giving of your son. We come to celebrate the rising of your son. We come to celebrate the rising of the submitted king who through obedience went to the cross to die for our sins. So we celebrate that kingship now here on Easter morning. We bring before you our nation. We particularly bring before you the leaders of our nation in an election cycle, Father. And we say that you are king above them. You are king above all the presidents and kings and prime ministers of this world. We acknowledge that you are Lord above every power and principality, government, corporation. You are Lord above our lives. 
So we submit to that. The powers and principalities have been humiliated on the cross. Father, now as we gather around your word and listen to what your spirit says to us, may our hearts be open to that truth of your resurrection which met Mary and the women. Peter, Thomas, the disciples, 500 others, Paul on the road in Syria. May that resurrection spirit meet us, Jesus. Bring new life in us. We pray this now in your name. Amen. We are coming to the end of a series which has been called the submitted Jesus, the submitted King. And this has been a process that we've been walking through as a church uh, through the period of Lance, which is really a way of focusing our attention on Jesus' pivotal miracle, his death and resurrection upon the cross. So many of you have been walking this, fasting, praying. Others may have not been on your radar. Maybe you've just come today and now it's just on your radar now. Wherever you are, whoever you are, this message has something to say to you. On Friday, we had our Good Friday service, which is always an interesting service. It's a solemn service. It's a service of waiting as people who know where the story goes, there's a discipline in coming to the Good Friday service and staying in that space to remember those days before, in between Jesus' death and then his resurrection. Jesus, as Brittany took us through that passage of his life in his last few years of ministry begins, and at the beginning, it's a sensation. Thousands of people come to Jesus, who is embodying this kingdom of God breaking into the world. Miracles are happening. The dead is raised. The gospel of God breaking into history is preached. There is something about this young man in his early 30s who's come from the back blocks That is magnetic, it's electric. And it gets so incense at points that literally Jesus has to almost run from the crowds, get on boats, cross to the other side of lakes, go in the early morning just to have some personal space. But as the reality of where Jesus is heading, the crowds drop off. The true believers are still there, but when we get to the cross after the trials and Jesus is condemned, this is not how it's meant to go down. The book of Deuteronomy in the Torah, the five books of law, says that anyone who hangs on a tree and is killed there is made unclean. So this is not some heroic death. This is actually a humiliation and a shame. And so as Jesus breathes his last breath, it's almost as if the lights go on and Cockroaches scurry, the disciples scurry away. Where are they gone? A few people remain. But the dream seems to have died. It's only real now a handful of women. And we have to think about what was that Friday night like? What was that Saturday night like? As people went about their business left behind families, traveled to other parts of the country, followed this person who was their everything, and now not only is he gone, but the dream seems to be gone too. 
with no street lights. Oops, I'll turn that on. Thank you. With no street lights, all you would be able to see at night, walking around Jerusalem or just outside of Jerusalem, where the final act went down, is simply the stars in the sky. Seemingly speaking, a message as people who would have read Psalm 19 again and again, which says in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. But now it seems as if the dream that these stars spoke of a heavenly reality, a divine council of celestial beings pointing towards God, that dreams now seems to have gone silent. The foundational story for these people that centuries before their father Abraham had this encounter with God where God showed him these stars, the vastness of heaven, and said, you will become like those stars. That will take you to a land you've not seen. They're now in that land. But the stars no longer speak. And Abraham's dream seems to have died. And that view into heaven now becomes a view of earth. And seemingly, Jesus is consumed now by just earth. Matthew 26, actually it's Matthew 27, verse 60, says, Joseph of Arimathea took the body and placed it in his own new tomb that he cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Joseph, a good man, a rich man, a man with influence that he can go and ask for Jesus' body, And Joseph seemingly here could be the footnote in a story of religion. This is the religion of the well-to-do, the religion of the respectful, the religion of the polite, the religion of people who make memorials to memories which have passed and which no longer have effect, but at least honor them. This is the religion of Stephen Fry, an atheist who says, I'm an atheist, but I can still stand there in the cathedral and sing those great songs of English hymns, appreciating the history, but dream's dead, doesn't matter. This is the the attitude that we've seen in the last few days as Notre Dame burnt and all of a sudden this outpouring across the world that something's lost. And for many people, there were people praying on their knees, people who genuinely believed That was a cathedral pointing towards Christ. But for so many people around the world, it was the classic, you know, I'm not religious, but that was a beautiful memorial for something which now seems to have departed. That's what Joseph represents. So if Jesus doesn't come out of the tomb, that tomb becomes a memorial. Maybe some sort of shrine is built around it But it's a very different reality than the Christianity that we understand. And if you look at the imagery, the the sense, nature of this, 
This is earth. Joseph takes the body now devoid of the breath that, that God had breathed into Adam. That breath is now gone. Jesus has become earth, Adam, earth in the Hebrew. And not only become earth now without that spirit, he is simply now, look at the words, rock, stone. That's calcified earth. That's more earth than earth. It's so earth, it's lifeless. Stuff can grow out of earth and soil, but it doesn't grow out of rock and stone. And the sound of it rolled, shut into the earth. The dream of heaven now consumed simply with earth. And that's the great story that hangs over us, continually pressing in on anyone who has faith, that all it is is just earth and rock spinning in the cold gas of the universe. But then, as Judy read, rudely interjecting into the story comes a different reality. We read of earth being shaken. In Scripture, it's mentioned not every earthquake. These are not primitive people like, oh, the earth moved. It's the gods rumbling the world. Scripture mentions earthquakes and puts no spiritual reality over them. But some earthquakes, it puts spiritual reality over, especially this one. There was a violent earthquake. The ground literally shakes. God is triumphant over the ground. Rock and earth cannot contain God. For there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. The stars are not silent. Heaven has not closed its door. And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. It's a little bit humorous. Like, here's this moment, Jesus died, and then heaven answers, and it'd be enough just to like vaporize the rock. But it rolls the rock, and then it sits down, and it's sort of like. (laughs) There's something heavenly about this angelos, this messenger from God. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. This is speaking of the will of God in a creature embodied, pure, reflecting the alignment of God. This is another reality, breaking into our reality. Now, Jesus spoke of this. Jesus spoke that the earth and the heaven would not remain distant from each other. That psalm that the heavens would pour forth the truth and knowledge of God. All throughout scripture, this concept that God would not stay distant. Jesus spoke of. In 1 John 5, uh, sorry, 1 John, let me start again, John 1, 51. Jesus said to those who are listening, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of God. This is a reference to a story that any Jew listening at that time, trained in Scripture and Torah, 
would have instantly recognized that concept of heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. That's the story of Jacob, a man who had a dream. Jacob is born very, very broken. He is a twin with a brother Esau who's everything he's not. Esau is muscular, he's a hunter, he's a man's man, he's covered in carpet-like red hair. Some sort of strange genetic Scotsman born in the Middle East. (laughs) Esau, man of action, comes out of the womb first, because it's already a competition between twins. Jacob comes out almost holding his feet. signifying that he wants to be like his brother who's everything he's not. And secondly, that they're already in battle, wrestling. Jacob's a man who hangs around, he's described as hanging around the campsite, which is ancient Near East language for a mummy's boy. Living in a world where he's not accepted by the men. In the world at that time, as in many tribal cultures throughout the world, when you came to the age of 12 or 13, you went through a rite of initiation and you went out and killed an animal or did some feats of courage and strength. And then you were initiated from the world of women into the world of men. And yet we find Jacob in this half place, not accepted in either place. The way he gets around this deficiency in his identity is to trick. Jacob means crooked, trickster. And so he tricks his lack of self-esteem and lack of identity and his lostness means he is someone who manipulates. Now it's easy to pick on Jacob, but there's a bit of Jacob in us. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said of these classic Jewish figures of the Bible in the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, that they're like us, just more so. And so Jacob finds himself running from his brother after tricking his brother in fear of his life, and he grabs some sleep on the run. And I just want to read this to you. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun has set, taking one of the stones there. Note stone. Earth. Calcified, unable to birth life. That's his pillow. That's his place in the world. The sun has come down. It's frightening. He lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching the heaven and angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants. 
descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the people will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. The dream of Abraham comes to this man on the run, this trickster, this broken person, and the dream comes to him saying, I've not forgotten my promise. You're clinging to a rock for a pillow out of nothing, out of which nothing can grow, but I want to grow something out of you. My promises of resurrection and resurrecting humanity and undoing the curse in the garden are not finished. I will have my way with you despite what you feel now. You're on the run from one place to another. Where, where, where Jacob was was actually a place called Lux, which is actually a place of pagan worship. None of that matters because I'm God and I'm going to do my thing. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, it's that moment like, hang on, is this real? It's a dream. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Maybe that's actually you this morning. Maybe God's been following you here. Maybe he's been following you for a while. Maybe you think you get Christianity. Maybe you got Joseph of Arimathea faith a memorial to something God's done in the past. Maybe the dream is dead. Maybe the dream is cold. Maybe the dream seems ethereal and unreal. But maybe the dream has been present and real. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And what the ladder or the ramp is more accurate in the Hebrew, between heaven and earth means is that God is not staying distant. Heaven and earth torn asunder at the fall in the Garden of Eden when humans rebelled. Heaven has this closeness that we're not aware of, that we don't get to see until we're like Jacob at the end of ourselves and we're desperate and we're humble and we're hungry for God. But when you are those things, as Jacob realizes, you understand that all around us are the gates of heaven. So in that strange night space, in a fitful sleep, God comes to Jacob, head on a rock, and says, I want to do something new. My spirit wants to resurrect. My plans are not over. You may think the dream is dead. You may even think the dream is simply a dream, but the dream is not over. Another person, I think, would have been sleeping fitfully one night in biblical history would have been Mary. Mary, the other women, on the Friday night, on the Saturday night, after Jesus' death, still hungry for heaven. The words of Jesus, so close, echoing in their minds, 
Jesus' proclamation at the synagogue when he begins his ministry, that repent, turn around, get your life now in order with the new alignment of history, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mary, watching the crucifixion at the last moment, would have heard a Roman centurion, the pagan nation, the superpower of the world, the oppressor, come as punishment to Israel. Seemingly, even this Roman officer says, surely he was the Son of God. That must mean something. Think of Mary walking, this ticking over in her head, this mourning. What is in Mary's soul for those couple of days? Why is she not disappeared like the other disciples? Why is she not hiding out, denying Jesus like Peter? Why has she not done the correct religious thing like Joseph of Arimathea and then gotten on her way and put the shame away? Why is she still there? Why is she waiting? Why is she watching? There's something in her heart which she can't put a finger on. Surely... He was the Son of God, and if He was the Son of God, what does that mean? What did He mean when He said, heaven has come near? Maybe those promises that He spoke of, which the disciples pushed against, that He would be knocked down, and on the third day He would be risen, the temple would be destroyed, all of this ticking around in her internal world. Because behind the scenes, unseen through the lenses of earth, Much is afoot. Much is at play. Unseen by earthly eyes, all kinds of things are going down in the heavenly realm. Satan has been defeated. The sin of humanity has been put upon Christ and thrown away. The powers and principalities have been humiliated. Those cosmic rebels which rebelled against God are being sent to the place where they deserve. Christ as Peter says, is preaching to the souls lost before the flood. There's a heck of a lot going down and no one can see it. So on those nights, if you're walking around Rome, Athens, Babylon, the great cities of China, Mesopotamia, wherever the heck you may be, you're not going to see it. But so much is going on, unseen to earthly eyes. Literally, the cosmos is shaking with spiritual earthquake. And then it happens. In John's Gospel, Mary sees a man thinking, after being taught by an angel that Jesus has risen, is mistaking him as simply the gardener. Have you ever thought how utterly, utterly strange this is? The submitted king come back and conquered death and the grave and sin. And he's literally dressed like a common gardener. This is like you know, him rocking up in a high-vis, hard yakka uniform. What the heck is going on? But we have these allusions back to the garden. This is the submitted king. We are now back at the garden, and God is the gardener, and he's walking with Mary just as he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And what's happening is the earth 
is moving. Heaven is moving. Heaven and earth are coming close to each other. God is about his plan. And what is the place where heaven and earth overlap? It's resurrection. If you want to understand what it looks like when heaven and earth overlap, look at Jesus and his resurrection body. His earth, he's he's touchable. Thomas touches him. Strangely, he still has the wounds of the nails, but yet he can walk through walls, appear on a beach, walk across water. This is heaven and earth overlapping, earth devoid of sin. God's original intent for the world is now on display in Jesus' life. We see in Rembrandt's picture the sun rising As scriptures told us, after the dark comes dawn, dawn is now breaking out in the world. A new order is at play. The Roman soldiers fall over as if death. In Al Greco's incredible, really fluid, kinetic painting here, we see Jesus ascended now above the naked, crucified, submitted king who has gone to the cross unto obedience is now above the Roman forces of the world who are torn upside down asunder. You can't see it properly here, but some have fallen asleep. They are now as if dead. The forces which rule earth are now as if dead. The forces in your life, which are of earth, post-resurrection, are now as if dead. They're not going to work anymore. Because the scripture said, and Jesus preached, for those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus has shown us this way here, that Jesus has shown us what life in that overlap between heaven and earth looks like as heaven and earth move together to their eventual reconciliation at the end of the age. Jesus has shown us that in that place, the access point, the gateway to heaven is humility and submission. And so on this resurrection Sunday, God is saying to us, you stand at the gateway. I'm offering you resurrection life. But those who find it are those who are humble. Others this morning may come And part of you doesn't seem to be looking for Jesus. You're looking for a whole bunch of things. Searching for many things in the world. Chasing down this, chasing down that. Maybe you've got a Joseph Arimathea faith. It's about doing the right thing, following the right thing, having a faith there. But you've got a whole lot of other projects going on. And maybe the angel's words speak to you. Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus. You're searching, you're longing, your attempt to fill the God-shaped hole within you is actually ultimately a search for Jesus. You just don't know what you're looking for. And that Jesus 
has been crucified and on the cross, crucified with all of your earthly goals and projects and visions detached from God. You now need to have the eyes of looking to heaven because he's not in the places that you're looking for him. He's actually risen and now it's time to move your eyes off earth and move him to that space where God is at play. For some of you, there's not really any great projects. There's not really any great plans. You find yourself more like Jacob on the run, desperately afraid, in crisis mode. And just as God said to Jacob, and Jesus says to the disciples, what resurrection ultimately means is, I am with you. Some of you this morning just simply need to know that the resurrection Christ is with you. Some who have come with questions in their hearts, loneliness that the earth can't fill, deep longings that humans cannot satiate, anxiety and fear that won't go away, worry that is inextinguishable. Jesus simply says to you, do not be afraid. I am with you. I am Christ, Emmanuel. The resurrected Christ is with you. Others today need to be told when faith may have gone quiet, when faith may have gone cold, when faith may be distant, that as Paul said to the church in Rome, the spirit in him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The power that rolled back the stone, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that is moving history towards God's end, the resurrection power is in you. So if you're that person, you're in trouble. Because all you can do is fight that. But we're like with Jacob, where Jacob was running and he had his own thing. Actually, that resurrection power came in a dream and came into his life and invaded it. The resurrection power is in you. And God is determined to reshape you. And it's time just to align with that and just go with that. And actually, God has things in store for you in your world that you cannot fathom just with earthly eyes. God wants to change you. God's plan is that in three months, six months, a year, you're holier, you're freer, you have more peace that transcends all understanding. You come more into alignment with yourself that actually shalom peace breaks out in your relationships, in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. And he actually wants you to be an ambassador and an embodiment of that resurrection power. So fight that if you want. But you're fighting the power that rolls back stones, that sends angels from heaven to earth. God has good things in store for you. Understand that. Take off the earthly lenses. And lastly, what he's saying to all of us and what he says to the disciples, that he has come and now 
we are re-engaged with our original mission. That he created Adam and Eve to go into all the world and multiply. You now, as people who live in the overlap between heaven and earth, a resurrection people, are now called to go and make disciples in all nations. Now we hear that and we think of, oh, is that Portugal and these places? And that's, that's part of what this is saying. But what this is saying is the nations which do not follow God, the places which do not follow God, you're called to go to them and you're called to be a humble person living in the overlap between heaven and earth in that resurrection place and bringing people into that new reality, baptizing them. When we baptize, we die to ourselves and are reborn in that resurrection power, doing that in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's other language for resurrection culture. But God now is calling the church here at Red. If you're visiting from another church, he's calling your church. He's now calling the church in this city in Australia to start living resurrection culture. Because we've been distracted and gotten caught up in a whole bunch of earthly junk that ultimately is not going to matter when heaven and earth are reunited. And he wants to move now and do a new thing. And this Sunday wants to actually mark that again he says, church in Melbourne, church in Australia, us here at Red, you, whatever church you come from, I want to do a new thing. I want to breathe my spirit. I want to roll back the earthly stones that you have put across the gateways of heaven through your own human striving, preventing his renewal and revival and resurrection that he wants to do at this time. So Father, come, roll back those stones. Roll back those stones in our lives. Unleash your resurrection power. I just realized I've started praying. So let's get the music going. (laughs) Father, I particularly want to pray for the stones that we may have across our lives, that sense of calcified earth, hardened, out of which nothing can grow. Father, we don't want to just be all earth. Father, send down your angels, your messengers, your power, the embodiments of your earthly will, those sunspots that like fly off the sun of your glory and power. Send them down. Move amongst us. Jesus, bless us now. Let's stand actually. We recognize that on that day we don't sit in defeat, we actually stand in victory with you. So Holy Spirit, come now. Holy Spirit, come now, as it did 2,000 years ago, it's rolled back, stone, breathed that breath, that spirit, reanimating, bringing Jesus back from the dead. We pray that spirit now over us. I just sense a real sense of, Father, you want to roll back some stones of doubts, that niggling belief. The doubt, not so much that, is this all real, but the doubt that the disciples had looking at the risen Christ. I'm not sure if I can do this. Father, roll that stone back and show us how we don't actually have to do it. We do it in your spirit. Jesus, 
roll back the stone of seemingly diminished dreams. Show us that the dream is not dead, that you're actually breaking into our world now. The Holy Spirit, come now. Do a new thing. Fix our eyes on you. Let us not stare at an empty tomb. Let us get about business. Go tell the disciples. Go tell the world. Go tell the nations. So what we're going to do now, there'll be people for prayer on the side. We're going to celebrate and sing praises of Jesus' resurrection. But in the midst of that, that power keeps going. We're not just having a memorial service now. This is live and active and dynamic. So I know that God wants to move in some of your lives today. He wants to do something new. So if that's you, there's going to be people on the side to pray for you. Let's just move now into a time of ministry and response. Let the Holy Spirit do His thing. He has a heat-seeking missile aimed at the stones over your heart, which is dispatching now. So if you want prayer, there'll be people with lanyards. Let's just step into now. Let's the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do.